Well, uh, for this being a one-word exercise, you sure have a lot to say. I'm very, I'm very impressed. You are not short on words to talk about yourself. That's good. I want you to hold that word for a second. We'll, we'll get back to that in just a minute. I want you to hold that. But I want to acknowledge something maybe uh, that, that you caught when you came in tonight, uh, when you walked in Soul City. That is our new cafe space out in the lobby. Wasn't that awesome looking? So this is what's fun. I love. We're a church, as Katie said, we are a church that is built on the idea of transformation, that God is not finished with us, that God is constantly developing, growing us. And one of the ways that I love we get to see that is in this physical space. This building seems like it's constantly under transformation, renovation at some level. And so what's so cool is that we have a space that's uh, out in uh, our lobby for people to come, to connect, to have meaningful conversation, to grow in relationships with other folks. Uh, and ultimately to grow in their relationship with God. We really take that space seriously, and that's why we've uh, worked so hard to create it. And we are partnered with a great uh, coffee uh, you know, person who has done an amazing job of uh, going beyond fair trade standards. And so we're privileged to be partnered with just the coffee that we serve here. But more than that, um, I, I want to let you know that beyond how cool like the space looks and beyond... The fact that like almost everything you see, we borrowed from other spaces in the building, and that we like the countertops, um, those have been in the building since we found like we got in this building. The countertops have been resized, cut down, chopped up, now stained, and so those things have been around. Uh, they are definitely we have a lot of reclaimed goods in that cafe space. Uh, but I felt I had to point this out in the morning. But our uh, our pastries are not reclaimed. I want to make sure that you understand <laughs> those are fresh and new. Okay, but everything else is kind of reclaimed, and you can kind of see that. But more important than all that stuff is the folks who have given leadership and given their time to building out that space so that you can have a few moments in your week where you can connect with God and connect with others. So I just want to honor a few of those folks. Dave Van Dixorn, who's led the whole charge to help renovate that space and create it. Mike Miaska, Ali, Sonia, Devin, Kurt, who's done a great job leading that all the way up to this point. All the volunteers that serve regularly here, they put hours and hours and hours in so that you can have a few moments to connect with God and others. And I think we should thank them for that and the work that they've done. It's pretty cool. We like coffee around here. We like coffee. Uh, so, uh, you know, one of the, the ways that things like that happen, opportunities like that happen, and, and the ministry of this church happens is through the generous and faithful and joyful gifts of people just like you and me. And so one of the things that we do regularly here at Soul City Church is we say thanks to God by giving back a percentage of our income. This is a biblical concept taught throughout the scriptures. We've taught on it here at Soul City Church. We'll continue to teach on this idea because it has so much more to do with our heart than it does with our wallets. And we give back to God because we acknowledge the goodness of God in our lives. We give back to God out of gratitude and recognition for his provision in our lives. Now, all of us, you know, not any of us would say that we have all that we want, but every one of us could admit we have more than we need. And it's God who's provided that for us. And so when we give here in church, we do that as an act of worship to say thanks to God. Now, many of us here at Soul City Church give online, just so you know. Uh, my wife, Jean, and I give online. It was a game changer for us to be able to sort of you know, set up our bank account, all that kind of stuff to happen so that it, we are faithful and consistent with that gift. We want to acknowledge and honor God every month. Uh, but many people give here in, the, in our gathering as well. And so uh, what we're going to do right now is receive that offering. And so you give back to God. It's him that you give to. But the result of that is spaces like you see out in our lobby. And the ministry that we're doing is we continue to partner with Brown Elementary and with Breakthrough Urban Ministries and with Mercy Home as we continue to extend the work of God in this neighborhood and this city. So we're going to do that while we talk. Is that okay? Can you multitask here and do that? Okay, fantastic. So those of you who came ready to give, give joyfully, give gratefully to God. And then we're going to keep kind of talking as we move along. All right? A second ago, Katie asked you to think of 
a word, just one word to describe yourself, just by a show of hands. I know you're going to have to pass a bucket and raise a hand, so stay with me. This is complicated, but I believe in you. Uh, how many of you, that was a difficult exercise to do? Yeah, because you're so awesome, it's hard to just pick one word, right? <laughs> There's just not enough time and not enough words to describe your awesomeness. I'm assuming that's why that is. All right, so this is another show of hands. How many of you, uh, the word that you picked was a positive word? The word to describe you was a positive word by show of hands. Okay, good. How many of you, just being honest, because only a percentage of you raised your hand, how many of you, the word to describe you was sort of a negative word? Some level, okay, good. That's okay. It's all right. You know, our hope is that it would maybe be positive by the time you leave here tonight. Uh, There's a lot of different words that we could use to describe ourselves. And, And I've had to do this. We did this not too long ago here at Soul City. It is hard for me to pick just one because there are so many words to describe my awesomeness. Um... Awesome uh, is one. Uh, humble is the other. There's lots, I mean, handsome. I, I don't want to keep giving, but this is what people tell me. So I want to, it's hard to just narrow it down to one word, right? But what we're going to look at this week and what we're going to finish our root series by looking at tonight is one word that actually describes every one of us. So while it may have been hard for you to come up with one word or just narrow it down to one word, there actually is one word that describes every single person in this room. We're going to look at a word that describes us, but we're also going to look at a word that defines us. We're going to look at a word that describes every single one of us, but we're going to look at a word that can define any one of us who chooses to enter into relationship with Jesus Christ. There are words, plenty of words that describe you, but there are few words that can define you. And we're going to explore both of those words tonight. The words that we're going to look at and the realities that we're going to look at are sin and grace. Sin is a word that describes every single one of us. You cannot escape it. We're going to dive into the scriptures to see how that is played out and how that is true. Sin actually describes every single one of us. But grace can be one of those words that actually defines who you are. Defines who you are. And so we're going to be looking at a couple different passages tonight. The first one is actually going to be Ephesians 2. We're going to get to it in a minute, but for those of you who like to kind of look ahead, look ahead, Ephesians 2 is where we're going to be getting to in a minute. But what I thought we might do is sort of give a little context for this idea that is so important to the, the roots of Christianity. And our hope and our goal, so you know for our time tonight, is not that, just that you would know more about this word that describes us and this word that defines us, but that you would actually be defined by God's grace tonight. That you would not just know more about it, but that you would experience it more richly tonight. And that you would continue to experience it as you transform and become more and more of who God created you to be. In fact, our hope and prayer is that for some of you here tonight, you will actually enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ for the very first time. And tonight, the trajectory of your life and the landscape of eternity will change by God's grace. That's our hope, and we're gunning for nothing less tonight than for every single one of us to come to the cross of Jesus Christ and say, here I am, define me by your grace. Now, sin and grace are incredibly important to the Christian experience. You look at all the things that we've looked at over the last couple weeks, and if you've missed any weeks and you haven't had perfect attendance over the last five weeks, you can go online, you can watch or listen to the podcast, because we've been talking about these elemental roots of the Christian faith. And what's interesting when you think about Christianity and you think about every other major world religion or belief system, there are a lot of things that they actually have in common. Just about every other world religion or religious belief system has a deity that they are as part of their belief system. There's some form of God or gods that they submit to. So just about every religion has that. Just about every religion 
has a holy book that guides them or some collection of tenets or laws or beliefs that sort of gird and guide their faith structure or system. We've looked at the Bible over the uh, past couple of weeks here at Soul City Church. Really, every major world religion has a holy book. Just about every world religion and major belief system has some form of prayer or meditation as a part of their practice. And we looked at prayer and worship last week. Just about every religion has some form of prayer or meditation wrapped up into their religious experience. And just about every other world religion has a temple or a church or a place where people go to practice their prayer and worship and to hear from their holy book. We've looked at the roots of the church in this series. So just about everything we've looked at so far in the series, there are incredible key distinctions in the Christian faith, but on the broad strokes, just about every other world religion or belief system has a similar touch point. What makes Christianity stand out in its belief, in its practice, and in the reality of what it is, is this idea of sin and grace. There's nothing else like it in any other world religious belief system. Sin and grace are what define the Christian experience. Think about it. You can go to a church, read a Bible, say prayers. You can do all of those things and actually not be a Christian. You can do all those things, and some of you have. You kind of have been sort of going along and doing those things. Every one of those things you can do and actually not be a Christian. But you cannot experience grace outside of an encounter and a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what defines the Christian experience. Grace stands alone. And grace and sin have this incredible sort of relationship with each other. Grace and sin are deeply connected in our story. And so let's step back and look at sort of the the roots or the the, the history, if you will, of sin. So we're going to just kind of go back pretty much all the way to the beginning and even a little before that. It's uh, understood that the first sin actually happened in the Garden of Eden between Adam and Eve and God. Uh, Right around Genesis 3, you can read about that. And while that is true that it's the first human sin, that's actually not the first sin because there's a backstory. And the backstory is that there was an angel in heaven that was prized above all angels. His name was Lucifer. And at some point, Isaiah 14, it's worth you reading, going back and reading Isaiah 14, and it's referenced in a few other accounts throughout the Bible. At some point, Lucifer saw God on his throne and said, I will be greater than God. And he rebelled against God. So in heaven, there is already this sort of rebellion and mutiny that happens long before our story begins. And in that moment, Lucifer is defeated by God and is cast out of heaven. His name is changed to Satan. He is the enemy of God. And in his fall from heaven, in his fall from the presence of God, he brings about a third or so, is what the scriptures tell us, of the angels with him. And that's where we have demons. All right, you follow me? So we're getting into some deep stuff here, right? Okay, so it sounds like one of those Tom Hanks movies with angels and demons. Just stay with me. All right, you can read about it in Isaiah 14. So that's where the first sin actually happens. It's an act of rebellion where Lucifer says, I will be like God. And God says, not in my reality. You will not. There is only one God, and that is me. And so Lucifer was cast out of heaven. And so at some point then in our story, he comes in and says, if I cannot overtake God, I will subtly destroy him with the thing he loves the most, his creation. 
And so that's where sin enters into our human story, where Adam and Eve are deceived by Satan himself. And guess what lie they are told by Satan? You can be like God. Exactly the same thing that he caused a rebellion in heaven over. You can be like God. God's holding out on you. You're not getting the whole story. You can be like God, knowing full well that he could not. But that was the temptation. In Genesis 3, we see the fall of humanity, where now sin has entered the human story. And with it came a separation. We've talked about that here at Soul City Church. With that sin comes a separation. And so you can put your finger at any point in the Old Testament. We talked about a couple weeks ago. Drop your finger in any point in the Old Testament and you will see a story and experience a story of a people at a distance from God. Throughout the entire Old Testament, God is present, but there's a distance. And that distance is brought on by sin, by people choosing something other than God. And that's the story of the Old Testament, and it plays out over and over and over again all throughout the Old Testament. And it's not just a biblical concept that's confined and constrained to those pages. It has now infected and affected every single human being that's ever walked the face of the earth. Every one of us has been infected by and affected by sin. We are born with a sin DNA. It is now a part of our Story. It is the enemy's way, Satan's way of subtly destroying God by destroying our lives with sin. It has made its way through the human story. None of us are immune. None of us can escape the results of sin. And sin, simply put, just so you understand, sin is any time I choose anything other than God. That pretty much covers everything, doesn't it? Anytime I choose anything other than God. That's a simple definition of sin. Anytime I choose anything other than God or God's best for my life. And sometimes we sin in blatantly rebellious ways. Sometimes we say, God, I know this is wrong. Or I'm not even going to talk to you, God, about it. I know this is wrong. I know that this pattern over here is destructive and harmful. I'm choosing it anyway. I'm going to go have some fun while I can. I know, God, that this relationship is harmful, is hurtful, is destructive. I am, I am choosing, I am blatantly disobeying and in a way echoing and mirroring the sin of Lucifer. I am going to rebel against you and choose this over you. Sometimes it's incredibly blatant rebellion. We look at, and you, you can put all kinds of things into this category, pornography, Blatant rebellion against God. You may have a system of justification that you sort of work it out with. It is the degradation of human sexuality. And when you participate in a way that is lustful, which is pretty much any way you can participate in it, that's sin. When you choose anything other than God. When you just play it out. When you lie, you know what the truth is. You know, you are not fooled. You know what the truth is. And you say, nope, I'm not going to go down that path. I'm going to go down this path because I think if I say this, they will think this about me or I can cover my tail or cover my tracks a little bit more. And so I am going to go this way. I am blatantly rebelling against the God of the universe. That's sin. It's sin. And every single one of us does it. All of us have been infected. All of us have been affected. No one is immune. There are times where our sin is blatant rebellion against God. And then there's the times where our sin is passive resistance to God. 
where we sense and know or hear at least have heard the truth about what God's best is for our lives and we choose something other than that. When we know that there's an opportunity to serve someone, to give of our resources, to give of our time, when we know that there's an opportunity, you you heard Katie talking about sponsoring a kid in World Vision, and you feel that gut response, and you go, I know I'm supposed to do that, and you say, yeah, but just, right, times are hard financially right now, and you sort of give yourself a way out. Guess what? That is sin. And we like to wrap those in as many excuses and as much context as possible. And lots of times we can even convince ourselves that that's why we shouldn't have do this thing that we know that God is asking us to do. Or that's why we didn't you know, avoid this path that we knew we shouldn't walk down. That's why we knew that we shouldn't have participated in that thing. We knew we shouldn't have done it, but we just sort of passively resisted the way of God. Anytime I choose anything other than God, it is sin. Are we clear in that soul city? Because we're going to get into a little bit of what happens when we don't recognize it as sin. And sin comes into our story, and it begins to affect and infect every single one of us in catastrophic ways. But here's the deal. Sin isn't the end of the story. Praise God it is not the end of the story. It is a word that describes every single one of us. There's no escaping that. But it is not the end of the story, according to the scriptures. It is not the end. Just so you know, when sin entered into the human story, as we see in the very beginning in Genesis 3, when sin enters in, God was not surprised. Just so you know, God was like, the plot thickens. He was not surprised or thrown off by sin, right? He was not at all surprised. God is omniscient. He knows all things. God actually already knew our hearts. In fact, hardwired into our hearts the ability to choose him or not to. Because our Father God knows relationships much better than we do. And he knows that a true relationship is always built on the choice of love. That's what real relationships are built on. And so he gave us a choice from the very beginning. So he's not surprised when you and I sin, and neither should you be. Neither should you be. God was not overwhelmed by our sin. Oh no, he's got to pull everyone together. Guys, what are we going to do? Sin's coming into the story. We've got to pull our forces together. We gotta... No, God was not overwhelmed. God, is, God was already aware of the situation before we ever entered into it. In fact, God was working a much better story than sin. One that would ultimately, ultimately defeat death and destruction that comes with sin and come to define us. And all throughout the pages of the Old Testament, you can put your finger at any point and you see a people at a distance from God, but there is another story that is happening under the current and it is the story of grace. And God is slowly in his time working out grace. And one day at the right time, just as God had planned, it comes in the form of a little baby named Jesus. And grace enters our story and changes our story from the inside out. Not any single one of us in this room or on this planet can escape the effects of sin, but the way that God brings grace into the world, not any single one of us can escape the power of grace. And it comes in a little helpless child, a little baby named Jesus, who grows to be a man, who gives us a way of living, who points us to the Father. In fact, he was the only person to ever live who never sinned. The only person who ever lived to never sin. 
And so he showed us and taught us a way to have relationship with the Father. But that wasn't the end of the story either. He actually came to give his life on our behalf to pay the debt, to pay the weight, to bridge the separation that all of our cumulative sin had piled on and piled on and piled on throughout our lives, throughout every life, throughout all of human history. Jesus Christ came and said, I will pay the debt. I will make a way through my life, death, and resurrection. Now grace wins and defeats sin once and for all and can define any single person who comes to me to have relationship with the Father. See, grace simply defined is you and I getting what we do not deserve for nothing that we have done. You and I getting what we do not deserve for nothing that we've done. There's not a single thing that you've done to earn God's grace favor. And you may have worked really hard to be a really good person. It's still not enough. The weight of all of the sin of your life and of this world was too great. And so God says, I'm going to come in and I'm going to do something much greater than sin. I'm going to do something that will defeat the death and destruction of sin once and for all. And it is grace. And I will do for you what you cannot do for yourself and that you do not deserve. But because I am God and I love you, I will make a way. And that's the story of grace. When it comes to you and I, all that we bring to the table is our sin. But what God brings to the table is grace. And it can define your very existence. And Paul paints this so beautifully in Ephesians chapter 2. So why don't you grab the blue Bibles that are in front of you, or if you brought your own Bible, we'll even put it up on the screen for you. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at this idea of us getting what we don't deserve for nothing that we've done that actually has the power to defeat sin in our life, that thing that anytime we choose anything other than God, grace actually has the power to defeat that. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at Paul's writings, a couple of Paul's writings here this evening, as we look at this idea of how powerful grace is. It's found on page 1080 in the Blue Bible, and this is what Ephesians 2, starting in verse 4, says. Paul is writing now, and he says these words. But because of, speaking of God, because of his great love for us, Okay, think about it. All of the rebellion, all of the ways that we have either violently or or passively rebelled against God, God still loves. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were what? Dead in our transgressions. So we are now, because of God's love and mercy, made alive in Christ even though we are dead in our transgressions. And transgressions is one of those words, if you're not familiar with it, it is sort of all of the ways of sin, all the dead ends of our sin. In the midst of us being like up against the wall in the bottom of a pit, God in his love and mercy makes us alive, even when we're dead in our transgressions, the ways of our sin. And look at what Paul says. It is by grace that you have been saved. It is by grace and grace alone that you can be saved. Jumping down to verse 8, Paul says it again. It is by grace, in case you missed it the first time, that you have been saved through faith. And this is very important. This is not from yourselves. It is a what? A gift of God. Remember, grace 
is something that we don't deserve for nothing that we have done. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's not by anything you can do so that you don't get to take the credit of it. Grace is a gift from God that actually has the power to defeat sin and define our lives. And if we're being really honest, we love the idea of grace. Who, who wouldn't? Like I get to crash my life up against the wall and God comes and rescues me? We're awesome. Where do I sign up? Because I'm great at crashing my life up against the wall. Like this is great. God, yeah, grace is awesome. I think for many of us, we, we love the idea and the concept of grace. It's the um, admitting to and owning of our sin that's our problem. We love the idea of grace and God can come and save and rescue me. Our problem isn't that because God's the one who does that. Our problem, I believe, so often is the admitting and the owning and the telling of the truth of our own sin. And I saw this, this uh, last week and a half or so in, in our own house. Um, we, there is a sickness that is hovering over our house. I believe we are house X. I believe that all the people in the world are getting sick from our house because we, we have two little ones. We have a six-year-old and a, and a three-year-old. And I know as, as soon as I see one of them sniffling or coming home from school with, with the runny nose, that, that this is it. The, the, these little children that I love are cesspools of germ and disease. And now our whole house is going to be contaminated. We're going to have to wear masks and it's going to be like outbreak. And so we, it, it happened. Our son came home and, and I just... He got, you know, he was just really sick and I could just tell he was out. And I just know in that moment, I want to have compassion for him, but I'm already seeing that I'm going to be sick in a matter of days. And so I sort of already know like what's going to happen. And so he got sick and then sure enough, Gigi got sick and then I started getting sick. And, and whenever I get sick, what's really fascinating to me is what I most want in those moments when, I, when I'm sick and I, I was feeling awful and my neck was hurting. And I'm, I don't know if you know, I'm running the marathon. I don't know if I've told you that I'm running the marathon, but I'm running the marathon. And so like, <laughs> because I'm running the marathon, I just was like so like sore and sick and tired and I'm getting sick. And I'm just, in those moments, what I want most for my wife is something I don't believe she's capable of giving me and that's compassion and mercy. I believe that God gives those things freely, but not my wife. It's just not natural or intuitive. And, and thankfully, it's not just her. That's true of me, too, because I was sick. And I just, I wanted her to sort of take care of everything. And there's several times where, you know, Jeannie would ask me, like, hey, have you, are you taking any medicine? And I'm like, I'm, I'm just too weak to pick up the bottle. You know, like, I'm just, I'm so pathetic. I'm so pathetic. The problem's not her, it's me. You know, like, have you called a doctor? Like, you should probably go see someone about your neck. I'm like, I can't even pick up the phone. And I'm just so weak. And she's like, okay, listen, you're going to have to take some responsibility here. And then the great news was just a couple days, over the last couple days, she's gotten sick. And so now I'm like, how's it feel having no compassion? Which is really a healthy marriage that you can tell. It's worth following. I think you should definitely, please pray for us. Um, so look, the thing is, whenever I get sick or I hurt something or injure something, I, I, I sort of expect Jeannie or, or basically everyone around me to take care of me, right? I, but I feel the, 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 the pain. I feel the symptoms. I feel sort of that thing coming on. But honestly, I'm being very honest, I become a baby about taking responsibility for whenever it is that I'm sick or I'm injured or whatever it is. Maybe you're like this. And if you're a guy, you're probably like this. Like you just, you know, sort of like, I just want someone to take care of me. I want my mama to come take care of me, whatever it is. Like the reality is so often, and Jeannie's like, well, what have you done about that? 
And I think when it comes to our sin, when it comes to God's grace, so often, I don't think the problem for us is the concept of grace. It comes to taking responsibility with our sin. You feel the weight and effect of it. You feel the damage that it's causing to your life, your body, your soul, your thoughts. You feel it. But so often, so often, at least this is true of me, I'm the last one to take responsibility for it for a number of different reasons. And I I want to tell you, Soul City Church, this is a concern I have for our culture at large right now, and specifically for our church, is that we have a problem calling sin, sin. And we've come up with a lot of other ways to describe it that make us feel a lot better about ourselves. And so I've sat across from people, and I've said myself, and I'm I'm just really struggling with something right now. I'm just really struggling through some issues in my life. Or if you've ever been in a guy's small group, it's, I'm just really struggling with lust right now. It's like, you're a guy. Of course you are. That's like your constant struggle. Be more specific. Tell me what it is. And so we wrap it under the idea of, I'm just sort of struggling with this thing right now. No, if it's sin, name it and call it what it is. Anytime I choose anything other than God. Because the more I try and wrap it and make it myself feel better about it, the less I actually experience God. And his grace. And so we say things like, you know, there's just some stuff I'm really trying to, I'm just working through right now, and I'm, I'm just I'm trying to pay attention to, I'm trying to work through right now. If it's sin, call it sin. By name, name it. Because what ends up inevitably happening is you and I sort of take on this sin management upon ourselves. And what we end up doing is try and control either the effects of or the appearance of sin in our lives. And so we just have things that we're struggling with. We just have some habits we're trying to work out. Or, you know, I've always kind of been this way. Or, you know what, this person did this to me, so I had to act this way. I had to do this. If it's sin, call it sin. Call it what it is. And do not justify it based on someone else's sin. Because every one of us is affected, every one of us is infected. You don't get off of the responsibility of your sin by hanging it on someone else's worse sin. And I do that all the time. And maybe you do too. Well, it's, you know, it's not like, I, mean, I, know, I know guys that like look at porn like three or four times a day. I only do that three or four times a week. It's sin. Call it sin. Well, I, I just, you know, we, it's not gossip. We're just talking you know, I'm processing. I'm just working through some stuff. I'm just talking. Yes, I'm talking about these people behind their back, but it's just, I'm just processing and working through it. No, it's, it's, it's called gossip. The Bible's very specific about it. Call it sin. Well, when I'm nervous and stressed, I just, I go to this thing, and, and whether it's food or whether it's smoking or whether it's drinking, and this is just my, I just need a release. Man, life is really hard and stressful, and so this just helps me take the edge off. No, that's gluttony. That's addiction. Call it a sin. Call it what it is. Because until sin is sin, grace cannot be grace. The longer you live under some self-imposed sin management, 
you will not experience the fullness of God's grace. Grace cannot be grace until sin is sin. Is that clear, church? That we no longer use excuses, that we no longer wrap it up under some stuff I'm struggling with. When we sin, we say it and we name it and we confess it. Just try and imagine, for those of you who are in a relationship right now, whether you're dating or you're married, when you screw up, when you mess up, when you sin, for you to actually admit it and say, you know what? Here's the situation. I lied about that. Um, I, I never did that, and I wanted you to think more highly of me, and I told you that I did, and I've acted different around you, and I've had to work so hard to sort of keep this lie going, and, and I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I, I shouldn't have lied. When does that ever happen in a relationship? That level of honesty and vulnerability, I guarantee you it changes the trajectory of that relationship. See, because what happens when we become sin managers is we exhaust an exorbitant amount of time literally thinking about working situations, controlling conversations, occupied thoughts, but planning our day around our addictions. We are constantly sort of working and exhausting so much energy. And if you were to add up the amount of time that you spend thinking about and managing and controlling your sin versus the amount of time that you could actually live in the freedom of God's grace, it would floor you. The energy, the time, the thoughts that we spend trying to manage our sin. When God has invited us to say, look, let your sin be sin. It describes every one of you, but it does not have to define you. It does not have to define you. Grace cannot be grace until sin is sin. And I love the way that Paul puts it. And we read a little bit of his writing a second ago. I want you actually to go over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. So this is on page 1097, so just a little bit to the right. We're going to look at what Paul writes. Now, Paul, just so you have a little context, wrote the bulk of the New Testament, which you actually hold in your hands. He wrote the bulk of that, okay? He is arguably the most influential Christian to ever live. Did more to spread the message of Jesus Christ than arguably anyone. Like, we're here reading his letters and his words today. Okay, So Paul, who's this amazing, amazing, amazing Christian leader, writes these words in 1 Timothy 1. Look at how he owns the level of his sin. Talking about grace again. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me. Look at that word, poured out on me. Abundantly. Along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So Paul goes on to say these words in 1 Timothy 1. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. So I'm going to tell you something now. I want you to listen to me, is what he's saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm pretty bad at. Is that what he says? Of whom I'm not as bad as the guy next to me. You know, Paul says Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the what? The worst. The worst sinner of all. In fact, verse 16, he continues, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul has no issue owning his sin and telling the truth of his sin. That he has been, he would describe himself not only as a sinner, but as like the worst sinner ever. 
Okay, like that, how's that for a Facebook status update? Like, I'm Jersey's worst sinner ever, right? Like, that's what you wear. Hello, my name is worst sinner ever. That's on my job description. Number one responsibility of this church. I am the worst sinner ever. You just need to know that going into this. Put that on your eHarmony profile. Worst sinner ever, right? And see what happens. That could be interesting, right? This is what Paul says. He has no issue getting in touch with his sin. This great Christian leader says, no, 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 no. I'm the worst Sinner, I am very aware of the totality of my depravity. I am in touch with the totality of my depravity. I am a sinner, but I have been defined by grace, saved by God's grace. When I was dead in my transgressions, his overflowing love and mercy reached out to me and saved me. Grace cannot be grace until sin is sin. And the longer that you and I try and do sin management, the more grace just becomes God's self-help for us. And that's not grace. Grace finds us at our lowest, at our worst, while we are dead in our sin and rescues us and brings us to life. Grace isn't grace until sin is sin. Sin means that, listen, I tell the truth of who I am. That's what sin means. I tell the truth of who I am. Grace means that I get to actually receive the truth of who Jesus is. That's how it works. That sin is, I tell the truth of who I am. I tell it to God. I tell it to a circle of people. I just started, we launched our, the guys' small group that I'm a part of leading, we launched Friday morning. We have created a circle where we can tell each other the truth of who we are. I'm going to tell God, I'm going to tell the truth. This is, this is who I am. As Paul would say, I'm the worst of all sinners. But grace is I get to receive and experience the truth of who Jesus is. He is grace manifested. He is grace embodied. He is grace available to every single one of us. So that we no longer have to be defined by our sin, but we can be defined by grace. And so the question for you and I to consider is what is the truth that we're telling? What's the truth that we're telling? What's the story that we're selling? Is it sin management? Is it covering up? Is it trying to make sure that everything sort of looks right and falls into place and exhausting unbelievable amounts of energy at that? Or is it falling to our knees and saying, I am a wretch, I am a wreck, I am a mess. And the truth is sin has infected and affected my life but that is not the end of the story for me. That is a truth about me, but it's not the truth of me. The truth of me is I have been saved and defined by God's grace. Saved and defined by God's grace. 1 John 1, 8 through 9 says like this. We'll put it up on the screen and then we're going to move into time of actually experiencing this grace together. John writes these words. Look, if we claim to be without sin, so if we are unwilling to tell the truth of ourselves, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. We are kidding ourselves, and the truth is actually not in us. But if we confess, and that word confess is to proclaim, to make known, to tell the truth. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and actually will actually will forgive our sins. No matter how big or how bad or how far you've gone, he actually will forgive your sins when you confess. 
and purify us from all unrighteousness. I have to, you have to, we have to tell the truth of who we are so that we can receive and experience the truth of who Jesus is. And nowhere throughout the story of God is that made more clear than at the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross tells the truth of who we are. And the cross tells the truth of who Jesus is. And what we want to do in our time together tonight is to experience that reality in a way that Jesus has made available to us. We want to receive and be defined by that grace. We want to tell the truth of our sin, to confess it to God, to come clean with God, and to be literally made new and defined by God's grace. And we're going to do that in a couple ways. One of the ways we're going to do that is we're going to receive communion. We're going to use these elements that Jesus gathered together with his friends. The night that he would be betrayed, hours before he'd be sent to that cross, he gathered his friends and followers and said, listen, you need to know the power of what's happening here. And I want you to remember, I don't ever want you to forget how far my grace will go. That I, This bread, this is my body. I want you to remember every time you look at bread, I want you to think about my body that was made available to you and was broken for you. That I actually came and lived among you, faced struggle, trial, temptation, just like you. I lived life among you and I gave my life for you. That's what the bread represents. And this cup represents my blood. The only perfect blood to ever flow through human veins. Jesus said, this is a precious blood that I will pour out freely for the forgiveness of sins and it will cover every sin, everyone, anywhere. No matter how far they've gone, no matter what they've done, anyone who comes to me and says, tells the truth of who they are, confesses their sin to me, confesses and professes me as Lord in their life, they receive life from me. That's the deal. We bring to the table our sin, our brokenness, our shame, our guilt, our regret. It is a mess. And what God brings to the table is his son, Jesus Christ. And he brings grace to us, which we do not deserve for nothing that we have done. And so what we're gonna do tonight is we're gonna remember that. And for those of you who are Christians, would call yourselves Christians, followers of Jesus, in relationship with Jesus, this is a beautiful moment for you to be burdened by the weight of that reality and at the same time set free in the truth of it. And that if there's anything in your life that is keeping you from full relationship and full disclosure with God, you would say it and name it and tell the truth of who you are tonight. You would tell the truth tonight to God, whatever it is, in no uncertain terms, no vague generalities, you would confess your sin and say, God, I trade this in for your grace and life in me. And so we have stations here in the front and in the back, and you literally take a piece of bread, you dip it in the cup, and you remind it of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Do that together with friends, or maybe some people from your small group, by yourself, whatever. That's going to be a certain number of us, but there are going to be some of us who need to spend some time reflecting on this reality. And there are going to be some of us in this room tonight who, for whom it is time it is time to say, okay, if that's the deal, if I bring my sin, brokenness, my regret, all that stuff to the table, and God brings me life in exchange for that, I want that kind of relationship. I want that kind of life. I tell the truth of my sin to receive the truth of God's grace and freedom and life for me. For some of you tonight, it's time. And that's the reason why we started this church is that you would know Jesus and experience 
his love and grace in your life. And so we've created a space over here at the cross where you can go and pray with someone. Very simple prayer. You pray, God, I confess my sin. I confess the wreck of my life. I confess what I've done to drive my life into a wall. And I choose you. No longer sin management. No longer trying to look good on the outside. I choose you. And you can begin a relationship with Jesus Christ tonight at the cross. The place that tells the truth of who we are and who Jesus is. We're also going to have some other people there as well to pray with you. If you just want someone to pray with you, to pray for you, they're not counselors, they're not going to fix your problems or any of that kind of stuff. They're just going to lovingly pray for you tonight. And so that's a very sacred space that we've created for you as well. And I would encourage you tonight not to miss that. And for some of you right now, there is that warm kind of like knot feeling in your throat and your heart and if the chest feel hot, pay attention to that. Because that may actually be God himself prompting and inviting you into a relationship with him tonight. Don't miss that. Don't go another day of sin management, but come and receive the truth and the gift and the life of grace. So let me pray for us, and we're gonna do that. We're gonna be sung over. We're gonna sing and celebrate together. Before we do, let's pray. Then we'll move to the table. We'll move to the cross together. Will you join me in prayer right now? Jesus, we thank you that you made sure that sin was not the end of the story. We thank you that you guaranteed that sin was not the end of the story. That what you did for us on the cross and through an empty tomb, you guaranteed for every single one of us that we could have life with you. We could have hope in you. We could have a purpose for our lives. We could be set free from the sin that has come to define our lives. And so tonight, so tonight, we choose you. We choose that. We choose grace. We know, God, that we cannot escape sin, but we also know that we cannot escape the power of your grace. And God, I pray tonight that we would come clean and tell the truth of you and that our church would be a church that tells the truth of who we are and the truth of who you are in our lives, in this church, in this city. God, I pray that that would happen tonight. Give us the courage to take steps forward, to remember you through communion and to come and confess and lay our lives before you at the cross. God, I pray for this time right now and for our church as we take one step closer in our relationship with you tonight. We pray this in your name and by the power of your grace. Amen.